Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the audio ministry of Lighthouse Baptist Church in Schenectady, New York. For more great content, please visit us at lighthousebaptist.org. Now let's open our hearts and minds to the Word of God. Some would say that's not an improvement. No. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, uh, Mike Roberts covered for us. Oh, thank you. The altar call was later, but okay. Uh. So when Pastor said he was going to Israel, I'm thinking, oh, that's great. I'll be here to cover. And then I ended up working out of town all last week. So we're like, who? who's next? So Mike Roberts uh, graciously jumped in and was willing to cover for us. So a uh, funny story. Friday morning, I'm sitting on a roof in Connecticut, and I noticed a missed call. It was a security company. Then I noticed another missed call. It was Gilderland Police. So I'm like, ooh, we had a motion detector go off. So uh, fun things happen when everybody's away, but you know, we made it through, so thankful for that. And I'll share one more thing. Uh, in Connecticut is New England Baptist College, which I was, how many of you ever heard of that? New England Baptist College, okay, good, good. So it ended up being five minutes from my hotel, which I drove by it on Wednesday, and I'm like, wow, I wonder if that's the same one, and sure enough, it was. So uh, I got to go there Wednesday night for church, and it was probably 150 people in attendance on a Wednesday night, so it was really nice. It was nice to have a, you know, a good gospel preaching service and hymns and kind of like a home away from home on a Wednesday night. So that was really good. And uh, Nathaniel Heller wasn't there. He was still here. I think he's there now. But uh, it would have been kind of nice to surprise him and you know, make sure he didn't fall asleep or anything in church. So it would have been good. It's nice to know he's in good hands. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, let's take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24 is where we'll... Uh, be today. And before I get into it, Harry, do you have that picture available? All right. So Pastor Prime, just to show that he really is in, in Israel, uh, <laughs> sent this picture to me today. And let's see. He says it's the Temple Mount behind him, uh, the left side as you look at this. So it's pretty cool. He might be on the Temple Mount. I told him I was going through Mount Pleasant. So six of one, half dozen the other. It's, uh, it's pretty cool, but he seems to be having a great time over there. You know, um, one thing that I've heard about people that get to travel to Israel is it really helps you understand and have a greater perspective on all the biblical events. You can see things, you can, they really come to life as opposed to, you know, I won't say just reading them or just hearing about them, but you can walk the same places where Jesus trod. You can see a lot of the events that, are, that happened in the past and things that will happen in the future. So... Uh, pretty cool. So pray for him while he's over there. Pray that he comes home, you know, safely and without any uh, things uh, included in his carry-on, right? So that can always be a problem. So Genesis chapter 24, uh, we're going to look at a couple different things, but uh, the title for the message today is In the Way, right? Um, In the Way is something that has been one of my favorite themes for quite a while. I also enjoy history, and if you look at history, there's a lot of comparisons. There's a lot of times where you can look and say, what would have happened if this did or didn't happen, right? Uh, I think of Adolf Hitler, and that's not something that I often share from behind a pulpit, right? But Adolf Hitler was a failure in life in his first two pursuits. 
I think he was a failed music student. He was a failed florist. And if he had just stayed failed, we may have never seen all the terrible things that he had done, right? Little changes throughout history can have a huge impact on how things turn out. Um, some of you may be familiar with the butterfly theory. It's a, I think it's a, a theory, it's just somebody thinking out loud. And they said, well, what if something stepped on a butterfly 300 years ago? How would that tr change the path of history going forward? And it's, you know, they make some funny arguments. And the point of it is a little change a long time ago can have a big impact down the road. Um, a couple hundred years ago, if we look back at 1803, for instance, do you, does anybody here know who Lois and Clark were? Not Superman, right? Different one, right? But um, they were given a job to do in 1803. Thomas Jefferson was the president. There was a, was a young country. And we had just made a deal. It was a great, very great real estate transaction to purchase 530 million acres of the Louisiana Purchase for $15 million. So you can tell me later about your great real estate deals. This was one of the best real estate deals ever. 530 million acres for $15 million. Lewis and Clark had a job. They were given a job. They were told, this is what you have to do. What was their job? Does anybody know? Jim. Go explore what they bought. Go explore what they bought. Right. It's, it's pretty cool. Next time I buy 530 million acres, I'm going to go explore what I bought too, right? But they were looking for the Northwest Passage. They were looking for a water route to get over to the Pacific Ocean, right? They wanted to see what they had, wanted to see what kind of treasure they had, what kind of natural resources they had. And they had a timetable. They wanted to get over there, they wanted to explore it, and they wanted to get back safely. Were they guaranteed success when they went out? Were they guaranteed that they wouldn't find the Grand Canyon by accident and you know, not make it home? No, they had no guarantees. They were just given a task, they were told to go. They were given the resources needed to go. And uh, Thomas Jefferson said, the object of your mission is to explore the Miss Missouri River and such principal streams of it as by its course and communication with the waters of the Pacific Ocean, whether the Columbia, Oregon, Colorado, and or other rivers may offer the most direct and practicable water communication across the continent for the purpose of commerce. They didn't have highways back then. They, I don't think they had trains back then either, you know, the railway going across. They were looking for a way to move out west. They were looking for a path. They were looking for somebody faithful who would do their job and do it well and to go. Over the three-year trek, almost three years over there, traveling around through, they faced nearly every obstacle imaginable. They faced hunger. They faced illness, injury, and fatigue. Ironically, they only had one person die along the way, and it was appendicitis, something that you could get anywhere. But everybody else made it, and they, they had a great time. Their letters that they wrote talked about you know, great optimism. Hey, we're having a great time. We're finding things. We're, um, you know, they found different uh, vegetation, different plants and animals along the way. It was really a truly remarkable time, and they made it all the way out there. And then they said, hey, this is great. And they came back. They were able to make it back within six months. So it was pretty, pretty incredible. While the expedition sustained itself partly through ingenuity and endurance, they had a lot of help along the way. One thing they kept finding over and over again, they found Indians or Native Americans. And the Native Americans were helping them, saying, oh, yep, go that way, go that way. So they had help along the way. 
Imagine if they didn't have help. Imagine what could have happened to them. Hey, I want to go this way. I want to go this way. And all of a sudden, they meet the Rocky Mountains, and they're like, okay, let's go some other way, right? It would have been a real challenge for them. They may have ended in complete disaster, but they had help along the way. When Jefferson died in 1826, he undoubtedly died satisfied. The goal that he had, the objective that he had, was net, and he saw a great uh, increase in the country, doubling the size of the country. It was pretty remarkable. Happy with all that he had been accomplished, but probably not having the slightest idea of what the future was, uh, would hold, he died, and he died happy, right? So I want to talk today about somebody else in the Old Testament who was in a similar spot, and he knew the end of his life was coming soon, and he had a, a promise that was given to him, but he hadn't quite seen that promise play out yet. In the Old Testament, we're speaking of, of course, Abraham. He had been promised to be the father of many nations. He would have descendants as, you know, as the grains of sand and as the stars in the sky. And at this point, he had one descendant. What was his son's name? Okay, what was his other son's name? Isaac, thank you, Christine. You passed the test, good, all right. So he had his son, Isaac, right? And now, some of you that have children and you want grandkids, what generally has to happen to your children so they have grandkids? They have to get married, they have to find a spouse, right? And they didn't have Pensacola Christian College back then, so uh, where would young men go to find a spouse? Well, they don't wanna go out into the surrounding communities because were there a lot of God-fearing women around where Abraham was? Absolutely not. Were there a lot of God-fearing men around where Abraham was? No, there weren't. We see what happens when we commingle with the world. Does anybody think, can anybody think of one of Abraham's close relatives who got too close to the world and lost pretty much everything he had? Yes, he lot lost a lot. Yes, I said that, sorry. All right, groan, groan, groan. I'll try to keep that to a minimum, all right? But we see what happens, and Abraham absolutely did not want this for his own son. Abraham was growing old. He was coming up on the end of his life. In fact, in Genesis 23, we see you know, Sarah passing away. And when somebody close to us dies, it often hones our perspective and helps us to say, hey, wow, you know, my time might be short too. What am I doing? What have I have left to do? So we see in uh, Genesis chapter 24, verse 1, Abraham was old and well-stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed him in all things. And it's very fitting, the song that uh, our two young guitarists uh, performed for us, I Have Been Blessed. We look back through 2022, maybe 2021, that's still you know, kind of figuring that one out, but we have been blessed. We have you know, heat that works. We live in a country that's free. Um, we have the majority of us, everything we need. We've been blessed. Abraham undoubtedly had been blessed. He can look back and think about all the things that God has done for him, all the times where he was in a sticky situation, whether of his own fault or not, and God brought him through. But here we see he has a problem. He has to find a, a wife for his son. Otherwise, how is many nations going to work? So in verse two, he calls his servant. The Bible doesn't give the servant's name. I tend to think it's Eliezer but the Bible doesn't give the specific name, so neither will I. But in verse two, the Bible says, 
And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house, that ruled over all that he had, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. Let's see if that goes back on. Here we go. Uh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord God of heaven, the Lord the God of heaven, and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So Abraham takes his trusted servant. Number one, entrusted a faithful servant. That's high praise right there. When somebody calls you and says, hey, I, I didn't know who else to call. I trust you. Tell me what to do. That's, that's commendable right there. And here we see he calls his uh, eldest servant, and he has a job for him. He says, put your hand under my thigh and make this promise. Make this promise that you will not let my son find, you know, marry a woman of the Canaanites. Now, maybe there were some, you know, good women of the Canaanites. We see in other cases where some people of the world do get saved and you know, God can use them, right? But for Isaac, he wanted somebody special. Because think about it, if this were to fail, if Isaac were to marry the wrong lady, what could happen? The whole plan, the whole uh, course of action that was on schedule to happen could have been destroyed. In a larger picture, Think about this. In Matthew chapter 4, if Jesus said, you know, if Jesus submitted to the temptation that was offered to him, what was Satan's goal? Satan's goal was to get Jesus to, you know, worship him, get Jesus to do something other than what was planned for him, his death on the cross, right? We can be distracted with a lot of good things to take us away from the great thing, the best thing that God has for us. So we see how important it was that Abraham finds the right woman for Isaac to marry. Abraham had been in a similar situation in the past. You know, first of all, there was the promise of him getting an heir. Did God come through for delivering an heir? Absolutely. Did God make Abraham wait a long time and maybe sweat a little and wonder, how is this going to happen? Absolutely, right? And then, once Abraham had the heir, everything was great, right? Well, until he was told to sacrifice the heir, and it was another test to see what are you going to do. Do you trust me? And Abraham did pass the test, but I think there might have been some sweat in his brow for that one because if I was in his position, I would be a little nervous myself too. So we see the servant's response in verse 5. We see, and, and the servant said unto him, Peradventure, the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again? unto the land from whence thou comest. So do I need to go? Or do I need to bring Isaac with me? And it makes sense, right? If she doesn't want to go, how many of you would want to let your daughter go with somebody who showed up and said, God sent me here to bring your daughter back to marry my master's son? Any volunteers? No, it sounds... It sounds sort of outrageous, right? But this is the, the mission that Abraham's servant was being given, to go, and he, he asked logical questions. He says, hey, uh, if she doesn't want to go, can I bring Isaac along you know, to meet the family and, and let the family know that he's, uh, you know, he's God's man and everything? 
And Abraham doubles down and says, do not bring my son. So now the servant has a choice. Well, I can obey or I can say no, right? But he does the right thing. Abraham says, you know, put your hand into my thigh. And it's a polite way of saying this is very, very important. It gets him to understand what is riding on this commitment, what is riding on this mission. As Lois and Clark were commissioned to go and to travel across the western half of the now United States, they understood how important their job was. But this job, this job that the servant had, was much, much more important. And he asked questions. He wants to do it right. Um, Abraham's reply in verse number 6 through 8, we see what he says. Abraham said unto him, Beware thou that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land. He shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this my oath, only bring not my son thither again. You'll notice a phrase is repeated twice. Bring not my son thither again. Now, those that have little kids or, you know, older kids for that matter, do you have to repeat yourself sometimes? Do you always have to repeat yourself? Is there a reason why we repeat ourselves? Absolutely. You look at uh, many passages in the Bible, Joshua 1.8, for instance, you know, be uh, not dismayed, don't be discouraged, be not afraid. Why does he have to keep telling them again and again and again? What is he trying to get them to not do? Not to be afraid, right? Here, Abraham repeats himself, and he uses a literary device. It's called an inclusio or bookends. He says something, he has a statement in between, he says the same thing over here. Both of these are designed to get you to see what's in the middle, right? He says, first of all, don't bring my son there. He has a statement in between, and he ends it up with, and just so you're sure, don't bring my son, right? What does he want the servant to see in between? He wants him to see what the Lord God is going to do. He wants him to see that the Lord is going to go ahead of him, that he's going to prepare his way, and he's going to have everything work out. His job is just to be faithful. We see, um, you know, the angel will go, the angel of the Lord will go ahead, he'll show you where to go, who to ask, and ultimately prepare the way so the young lady will be prepared and be willing to go home. Now, if you were the servant at this point, what would be going through your mind? You might be saying, I believe, help my unbelief, right? Because it seems like an insurmountable task that you've been given to do. And it seems like the, the chance of success is pretty minimal. But thankfully, Abraham gave him an out. Abraham said, if she's not willing to go, then you're clear of your commitment. You're clear of your, your vow that you've given. So what does the servant do? Like any good trusted servant, he obeys. He goes and he, he says, doesn't make excuses. He's like, okay, I'm going to do it. In verse uh, number six, we, we see Abraham wanted a godly lady for his son to marry. He had seen again and again and again the result of marrying ungodly people. He saw it happen with Lot. He saw Lot's entire family destroyed, right? And he absolutely did not want that to happen to his own son. So this was 
what God had given him. This is what God's plan was. And now he had to see it through. So we see the servant's obedience again in verse number nine. The servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swear to him concerning that matter. Abraham's servant is a great example of what a faithful servant looks like. A lot of times when there's a job to do, you can try to think through your mind, who's going to do this job? You might have somebody who could do the job very well, but they're unreliable. You might have somebody who you know, may not do the job so well, but they're super faithful and they'll give it their absolute best. Which one of those would you rather have? I would rather have the one who's may struggle a little bit, but they're not going to stop trying to get the job done. And here we see the servant, his characteristics, he's trustworthy, he's dependable, he follows instructions. He understands the importance and the gravity of the task. It wasn't something that he was going to do flippantly. He wasn't going to go off on his own and do his own thing. He's not afraid to give everything he has to get the job done. Is there any guarantee that if he went away that he wouldn't be killed on the route? Is there any guarantee that he wouldn't go somewhere into this far country and be taken captive, taken prisoner? There's no guarantee. But he goes ahead and he does it because it's the right thing to do. He's a great example of what a faithful servant is and demonstrates for us how we should serve. He was personally involved. It wasn't just something he said, oh yeah, that's good for you. No, he was personally involved. He was ready to go. He was willing to go. He asked the right questions to get the job done. He wasn't asking questions to try to dissuade Abraham from, from doing this, but he asked questions that involved him and said, what do I need to do, right? He understood how critical the job was. He didn't ask God to send somebody else. He didn't say, well, I mean, that girl over there, you know, she doesn't look that bad, right? He understood the job and he was committed to getting the job done. Most importantly, he wanted to please his master. A good servant will want to please the master. As servants of the Most High God, our goal should be to serve God and to do it the best we can with the talents that he's given to us. So far, we have seen a faithful servant entrusted with a tremendous task. And now number two, we'll see where the servant turns for help. So number two, entreat a faithful God. The servant can only do what a servant can do, but a servant given resources can do some pretty incredible things. If Lewis and Clark were sent out on their own with maybe a donkey and a backpack, how far do you think they would have made it? Maybe to the first river and said, okay, that's enough, yep, let's go back, right? But they were given everything they needed to make the trip happen. They started out with about 50 uh, people, and then after they went a little ways, they got down to about 30 people, and those 30 were the core group that made it work. They're, those 30 were committed, they worked together, and they got through what they had to get through. They weren't going to give up, they weren't going to back down. So we see in verse number 10, and the servant took 10 camels of the camels of his master and departed for all the goods of his master were in his hand. So he could take whatever he needed to make this mission a success. And I think he did. He thought ahead and said, what do I need? What could possibly go wrong? You know, what do I need to bring? And he brought it. And he arose and he went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. Now, some estimates place this at four to 500 miles away. So this wasn't just a two or three day journey. It wasn't a trip, a quick trip down to New Jersey and hey, you know, this wasn't too bad, right? This was quite a traveling in, uh, endeavor. It was three to four weeks travel. 
if I were him, and I'm sure he did this, he probably prayed before he went. If you were going to embark on such an important job, I would be very sure to pray everything in advance. They didn't have roadside assistance back then. If his camel broke down, he's in serious trouble, right? So they had to plan, they had to uh, prepare, they had to plan ahead. Perhaps it was during the journey he thought about what to pray for. He had plenty of time. He had time to go as he was traveling to say, how am I going to know who, this, who the right woman is? How do I even know where to go? What kind of strategy can I use so the Lord can show me and I'll know 100% that this is the right one? A faithful servant should be practiced and proficient in prayer. As he arrives at his destination, take a listen to his petition, to his prayer. Verse number 11, and he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water and let it come to pass <clears throat> that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink, and she, she shall say, that's a fun one, little Sally selling seashells by the seashore, uh, she shall say, uh, drink, and I will give thy camels drink. Also, let the same be she that thou hast appointed uh, for, my, for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto thy master. So he has this very detailed petition to the Lord. Lord, here I am, uh, I'm thirsty, the camels are thirsty. There's a lot of ladies coming out right now. How do I know which one? Well, let's try this. If she comes to me and says, can I get water for you? Can I get water for the camels? That'll be a good sign, right? And he offers a specific prayer that includes a test or a measurable result to help him understand. Sometimes I think it's a good thing to say, God, show me exactly what to do, right? It's not being presumptuous. I mean, Gideon had a fleece, right? And sometimes, sometimes people say, well, this has to happen before I do anything. Well, the Lord knows our hearts. He knows if we're trying to be successful or if we're trying to make an excuse to where we don't have to do something. And here, the servant is trying to be successful, but he needs some direction. And he prays specifically, God, show me who the right one is, right? And as we see exactly that's what happens. So verse, uh, next uh, point I have here, the Bible doesn't specifically state this, but it would seem Abraham's servant had learned a few things about his master's Lord, right? He had learned a few things about who Abraham's, or the God um, who Abraham served. And we see, <clears throat> you know, if this is his chief servant, if this is the one who was close to him, he would see Abraham every day. He would see how Abraham interacted. He would see how Abraham worshiped the Lord. And a lot of that has rolled off. The good example of the relationship between Abraham and God the Father has rolled off on the servant. So the servant now, too, is praying, knows how to pray, knows how to entreat our Heavenly Father, right? If we were down south, we might say, you know, son, where'd you learn to pray like that? And hopefully the son would look back at him and say, I've been watching you, Dad, right? Because that's what we want. We want it to transfer. We want other people to see our example and to copy it and to grow that way. 
So let's take a look at his prayer. He says, send me good speed, show kindness, not to me, but to thy master Abraham. He puts a test in the prayer. He asks for the right type of uh, woman, uh, a woman who was willing to serve, kind, industrious, godly, and chaste, right? Now these are all great qualities in general, but these are great qualities specifically for the woman who would be essentially the matriarch, right? Sarah is dead. This would be the woman who is going to lead and to help Isaac form, you know, many, many nations. He doesn't ask for vain or trivial things. He sticks to the important. He asks uh, specifically for the one that thou hast appointed or nominated, set aside for this task. He was smart enough to know God already had the woman picked out. He just had to be at the right spot at the right time so he could see her. And with this direction, he would know who it was. Asking God to answer his prayer, not for himself, but as a reflection of God's kindness to Abraham with understanding of how important it is for future generations. It wasn't a flippant prayer. It wasn't something that he did quickly. It was something he put a lot of thought into. He so badly wanted to be successful in the job that he was given because he knew how important the job was. He was willing to take the time and to pray and to pray it right. I love what we see in verse 15, but to recap, so far we have seen an entrusted servant. And the entrusted servant, as point number two says, entreats a faithful God. So number three, they experience a fantastic result, right? Uh, in verse number 15, and it came to pass before he had done speaking. You know what that means? Before he was even done praying. He had this long prayer in his head. He probably rehearsed it. He probably said, this is what I'm going to do. This will help, you know, guide me and direct me so I can have success. Before he is even done speaking, and it came to pass. The Lord heard our prayers. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes it's a resounding yes. Before he had done speaking, uh, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder, and the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. He's going right through the script. It's, it's pretty awesome. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her, head, her hand and gave him to drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camel also. And you're thinking, wow, two for two. This is, this is really cool. I will draw, camels, I'll draw water for the camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again unto the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say how many camels he has. We could debate that later if you like. But would anybody here want to volunteer willingly to get water for a total stranger? That I can see. That's a, a kind thing to do, right? We are to be kind one to another. That's a great example. But how about a whole fleet of camels that come into town dry and thirsty? You know how long you might be there with a bucket of water? The old joke was at Pensacola, you have to be careful holding the door because you might be there for a while. They just keep coming and coming and coming. And, you know, where's Pete? I haven't seen him in three years. Oh, he's over at the, the feeding center there holding the door still. No, not really three years. But you might be there for a while. And the same thing we see here. She willingly volunteers to draw water for camels. Camels drink a lot of water, especially after traveling through the desert and dry areas. 
she volunteered to do it. And these are the exact things that Abraham's servant was praying for. He was like, Lord, show me, give me a sign, help me to understand. And so far, it's nothing but success. She hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again unto the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. Verse 21, and the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. I love it. Before he is even done praying, he sees results. She hasted to give him a drink. She's a servant. She's ambitious. She hasted to water the camels. It's not an easy, a quick, or a fun task, but she was willing to do it. Verse 21, he's getting excited. He's thinking, could this be the one? I've traveled this great distance. I've prayed about it. I've tried to put everything in order to make this work. Could this really be the one? Verse 22 through 25, there's some small talk. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man <coughs> took a golden earring of half a shekel weight and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. There's plenty of room. She's polite, honorable, generous, and he cannot contain himself. He bows and he worships. Verse 26, the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being the way the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. It was too much for him. He just, he begins to worship the Lord right then and there. He's so thankful because everything had worked out exactly how God wanted it to work out. And exactly how Abraham told him the angel would go ahead, would arrange everything for it to happen in just the right way at just the right time. All he had to do was be a faithful servant. And now he worships the Lord and all the stress and anxiety that he might have had about how this is so important, I hope it works, I'm doing everything I can, it's all gone. He sees this one right here. He knows it's the right one. Abraham's servant had a heart of worship. Psalm 34, 3 says, Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And there's a lot to that, but the understanding is you can magnify the Lord. Magnifying the Lord doesn't change him, but you're looking closely at the characteristics and you really come to appreciate him better because you see him in a greater scale for what he really is and what he can do for us. Um, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. It's talking about worship. And worship is the natural response of when somebody does magnify the Lord. Because you stop and you, you focus on it. And you think how great God is. How much he cares for us. For the sinful creatures that you know are here for us. And the only thing that you have left to do, the natural response is to worship and that's exactly what he does in verse 28 she runs ahead and tells her family verse 29 through 32 they welcome him in they give him food they care for his animals and verse 33 through 49 it's testimony time he rehashes he reiterates his entire journey his mission to the entire family and he says you know what i'm not even going to eat until i share with you why i'm here verse 50 it's time to worship again and Verses 55 through 58, she says, yes, I'll go. And she's ready to go. She's ready to do her part. 
Verse 61, they head towards home. In verse 63 to 65, we see the happy introduction. Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the eventide, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel, for she had said unto the servant, What man is this that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant had said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil and covered herself. And finally, verse 66 and 67, happily ever after. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Abraham has seen God answer yet another prayer. I love the picture of Simeon where he says he's holding the baby Jesus in his arms. He says, I can die a happy man. Those are my rough translation right there. But he goes, I have seen the Lord's Christ. He can die a happy man. At this point, Abraham can die a happy man. He knows that his son has married a godly lady. He knows it's the exact one that God wanted to happen. He can die very, very happy, knowing that God has fulfilled yet another promise. So what is the practical lesson for us? Well, the practical lesson for us is if we have a trusted servant, we can send him 400 miles with some camels and come home with a daughter for our son. No? Okay. The practical lesson for us, the real lesson, is found in Genesis 24, 27. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and truth. I, being in the way, the Lord Jehovah led me. So many times we have so many choices to make. Which way do we go? What direction do we take? What guidance should we follow? And the simple truth is we have to be in the way. We have to stay in the way on the course that God has given to us. When he speaks of the way, he is referring to the specific path that God led him on to reach his ultimate destination of finding Rebecca and seeing God's ordained plan come to pass and securing the nation of Israel, right? Obedience came first. The servant did what he was supposed to do. All the other steps were right in line. Guidance is twofold. It requires direction and it requires obedience, right? If somebody isn't following direction, then resistance has to come in place and they have to be directed and they have to hit the microphone, right? They have to stay on track. They have to be encouraged to stay on track. If we expect guidance, we must be willing to do our, our um, present duty every day, right? Um, God will guide us one step at a time just like we saw with Abraham's servant. He wasn't given an exact roadmap of where to go, but he was directed and he was told, this is what you have to do. If we are unsure of what God would have us to do, then for the present, keep doing what you should be doing until he speaks. Eliezer gives us an example. He prayed specifically, then he went about doing what he knew was right to do. I love the, the phrase, do the duty that lies nearest thee and the remoter duty will become clearer. If you're doing what God has told you to do right now, keep doing it. He'll give you more direction. He'll give you more light as you're obedient with the light that he's given so far. And the number one leading of God for all men everywhere is to repent and to be saved. Eliezer's servant, I'm sorry, Elie, uh, Abraham's servant, who I think is Eliezer, he did his job. He was a faithful servant. He wanted to please his master, right? Every one of us should be a faithful servant of God. But we can't be a faithful servant unless 
God is our God, unless we are saved. And that's what God's plan is for each one of us. He wants us to see Jesus, to be thankful for Jesus dying on the cross. Not just dying on the cross, but living a sinless life so that we can have a home in heaven. To be in the way is to be one of the way. One of the way is what Christians were called. It was a term of derision in the New Testament. But they were, to- they were called being one of the way because they were Christ followers. So to be in the way is to be one of the way and to be a follower of Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. He says in John 14, 6, no man can come unto the Father but by me, right? The same level of obedience that we see in the Old Testament is the same level of obedience that we have to have today. There's no other way to heaven. There's no side skirting it. There's no shortcut other than asking Jesus to forgive our sins, to trust in him only, and to be saved. He will save you from your sin. He will guide you so that you too may become a faithful servant. So my, in closing, my challenge for you today is if you're not saved, what better day than today to get in the way, to follow Christ? If you are saved, let's commit in 2024 that we can look back to 2023 and say, 2023 was the year that I was in the way. I was following the direction God gave me. And you can see the result. So my challenge, again, is commit to being in the way the Lord leads you. All right, let's pray, and then Brother Mike will have you wrap up. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, the example that you've given to us of Abraham's servant. He was somebody whose name wasn't even mentioned, but he was somebody who had a lasting legacy and impact. He was faithful. He did the job that was assigned to him. And because of his faithfulness, he saw an amazing thing. He got to be part of finding a wife for the son of his master. Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to be in the way, to, to not go to the left, not go to the right, but to be directly where you want us to be so that your work can be done through our lives. Father, if there is one here that hasn't been saved today, I pray that you would help them to see their need of salvation, help them to see how much God the Father and Jesus love them, that Jesus sent, or that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross in payment of their sins. We hope that message was an encouragement to you. To stay up to date with us, please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC Schenectady. If you would like more information on how heaven can be your home, please visit lighthousebaptist.org slash the gospel.